Be Not Afraid, a retreat guide on St. John Paul II. Introduction. When Karol Wojtyła, the Archbishop of Krakow, Poland, emerged onto the balcony of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, after being chosen by the conclave of cardinals as Pope John Paul II, he made history. Not only was he a young choice, not even 60 years old at the time, but he was also the first non-Italian pope in almost 500 years. Standing on the balcony and overlooking the tens of thousands of faithful gathered in St. Peter's Square to welcome him, he departed from the usual protocol. Instead of simply giving a blessing, he engaged in a spontaneous dialogue with the crowd. He gave an off-the-cuff reflection about feeling inadequate for the papacy, about his trust in God, and about his confidence in the people of God, the very people who had gathered in St. Peter's Square. That night, he hand-wrote his first papal homily, which set the tone for the next 26 years of his papacy. In it, he said, Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid to welcome Christ and accept his power. Do not be afraid. Open wide the doors for Christ. So often today, man does not know what is within him, in the depths of his mind and heart. So often he is uncertain about the meaning of his life on this earth. He is assailed by doubt, a doubt which turns into despair. We ask you, therefore, we beg you with humility and trust, let Christ speak to man. He alone has words of life, yes, of eternal life. Be Not Afraid, that is the title of this retreat guide, which will give us a chance to reflect on what made this Polish Pope so holy, inspiring, and spiritually fruitful. The first meditation will explore his conviction about the power of ideas. The second meditation will explore his belief in the power of witness. And the conference will reflect on the theme of vocation, of life as a calling. Let's begin by quieting our hearts, turning our attention to God, who never stops paying attention to us, and asking him for all the graces that we need, most especially for the grace to be inspired by this saintly Pope whose love and wisdom were able to conquer so many fears. First Meditation The Power of Ideas Introduction Among many other things, John Paul II was a true philosopher. From his youth, the world of the mind the world of ideas, fascinated him. He became a professor of philosophy, a writer of philosophy, and until the very end of his life, he continued to read and discuss philosophy with friends as well as other philosophers on a regular basis. During his lifetime, in fact, his critics often pointed out the sometimes dense and complex style of his writing. His intellectual depth and philosophical approach to issues made some of his encyclicals hard reading. But this saint's penchant for the philosophical didn't distance him from the nitty-gritty reality of daily life. He wasn't a man lost in the clouds, as the many practical achievements of his life as a priest, bishop, and pope make abundantly clear. For him, a love of ideas was linked to a love of wisdom, which is what the word philosophy literally means. And wisdom is never separated from real life. Ideas matter. The Bible calls Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God. Words are spoken ideas. And this eternal word spoken by God the Father was so powerful that all of creation came into being through him, and all hope of salvation flows from him. Here's how St. John explains this in his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through Him, and without Him nothing came to be. What came to be through Him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As human beings created in God's image, Words and the ideas they contain play a central role in our daily lives. This is one reason that Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. In his efforts to disrupt the human condition, the devil's favorite tactic is to spread false ideas, distorted concepts, lies. St. John Paul II recognized the power of ideas. He believed that ideas, true ideas, ideas taken from God's revelation in the gospel of Jesus Christ, could overcome evil and release greatness in the human heart. And so ideas embodied in words became his primary weapon as he battled against the many anti-Christian forces at work in the modern world, ceaselessly writing and preaching about the truth of Christ. Visiting His Native Land Maybe the most dramatic example of this was his first papal pilgrimage to his native Poland. It occurred in June 1979, less than a year after he had become Pope. At that time, Poland was part of the Soviet Union, a block of countries ruled through the totalitarian communist regime based in Moscow, Russia. Basic human rights had been systematically violated by this regime since the end of World War II. Communist ideology tirelessly strove to replace spiritual values with material values, treating human beings like cogs in a social machine, violently and forcibly limiting freedom of expression, of religion, and of education. By dehumanizing society, the communist regime created both economic and psychological depression draining hope and creativity from the hearts and minds of its subjects. The Russian communist leader, Leonid Brezhnev, was initially opposed to allowing John Paul II back to Poland, since the Catholic Church was one of the great enemies of international communism. In fact, the communists had successfully avoided a papal visit to Poland by Paul VI a decade earlier. But now that the Pope himself was Polish, political pressure was simply too great to ignore. And so, after complex and protracted negotiations, John Paul II embarked on a pilgrimage behind the so-called Iron Curtain of the Soviet Union to pay a visit to his Polish homeland. A revolution started by ideas. He was there for nine days, visited six different cities, and spoke to an estimated 13 million Polish citizens in person, and to the remaining 25 million through television and radio broadcasts. Catholic and non-Catholic historians agree that this pilgrimage to Poland marked the beginning of a revolution that contributed 10 years later to the fall of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Soviet Union, and the beginning of a new era in world history. What weapon did the Pope wield in order to set such a revolution in motion? Unlike the violent anti-communist movements of earlier decades in Hungary and Czechoslovakia, John Paul II didn't use guns and tanks and Molotov cocktails. Instead, he used ideas. In nearly 50 discourses, speeches, and homilies, he spoke to the suffering and persecuted Catholics of Poland about their human dignity and their Christian vocation. He recalled their history and the spiritual core of their cultural identity. In short, he reminded them of the truth about who they were and who they were called to be. A Culture of Lies
For 30 years, ever since the beginning of Soviet rule, those ideas had been systematically eliminated from public discourse and even from private conversations through the vast network of spies and informers employed by the Communist Party. Only communist ideas had been permitted. But now, through the providential arrival of a Polish pope, the truths of the gospel message were once again proclaimed from the rooftops. They found an echo in the hearts of the people who had courageously maintained their faith throughout the communist occupation, and they worked like leaven inside Polish society, renewing it from within by restoring purpose, hope, and strength to the victims of Soviet totalitarianism. A concrete sign of the radical change worked by these ideas, ideas that John Paul II didn't invent, but that he planted afresh like seeds in a devastated cultural landscape, was the emergence of a workers' union in the city of Gdansk during the year following the Pope's pilgrimage. After extensive but nonviolent demonstrations on behalf of workers' rights, the communist rulers had no choice but to recognize the first self-governing, independent trade union in the entire communist world. On the day when the agreement was ratified and the union, called Solidarity, was legalized, the representative of the workers, future Polish president Lech Wałęsa, used a curious writing utensil to sign the document. It was a souvenir from John Paul II's pilgrimage. A huge pen topped with a picture of the smiling Pope. Using such a pen to sign such an agreement was a symbol of the transformative power of ideas, of the true ideas that Jesus Christ came to reveal to us, the ideas that can bring creativity, meaning, and vitality to every human life, including our own, if we will let them. Following the example of Jesus. When John Paul II changed the course of history in Eastern Europe, he was only following the same method that Jesus Christ had used 2,000 years earlier. Jesus didn't come to play politics or make military conquests. He came to preach the gospel, to spread the good news, the true ideas, about where we come from, who we are, and who we are called to become. John Paul II preached that same gospel during his Polish pilgrimage and throughout his pontificate. Every Sunday at Mass, when we pray the Creed, we profess our own belief in that same good news. How deep does our faith go? How fully do we understand and how sincerely do we believe in the power of those ideas? In the next meditation, we will look at another central characteristic in the life of this saintly Pope. But for now, let's just take some time to reflect prayerfully on the role that Christian ideas play in our own lives and the role that they should play. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation. Questions for personal reflection and group discussion. What ideas do I think about most often? What are the core ideas, convictions, that drive my daily life, my goals and my decisions? To what extent are these truly gospel ideas? How much time and energy do I dedicate to feeding my mind with the truths of my Catholic faith? To what extent can I claim to have a truly Catholic view of myself, of other people, and of the world? Can I formulate in my own words what such a Catholic worldview consists of? What are the most common topics of my conversations? What do I speak about most? People, events, or ideas? Why? 
three quotations to aid your meditation. St. John Paul II, Mass in Krakow, Poland, June 10th, 1979. You must be strong, dear brothers and sisters. You must be strong with the strength of faith. Today, more than in any other age, you need this strength. You must be strong with the strength of hope. Hope that brings the perfect joy of life and does not allow us to grieve the Holy Spirit. You must be strong with love, which is stronger than death. When we are strong with the Spirit of God, we are also strong with faith in man. There is, therefore, no need to fear. So, I beg you, never lose your trust. Do not be defeated. Do not be discouraged. I beg you, have trust. And always seek spiritual power from Him, from whom countless generations of our fathers and mothers have found it. Never detach yourselves from Him. Never lose your spiritual freedom. St. John Paul II, Encyclical Letter, Centesimus Annus, Number 24. It is not possible to understand man on the basis of economics alone, nor to define him simply on the basis of class membership. Man is understood in a more complete way when he is situated within the sphere of culture through his language, history, and the position he takes toward the fundamental events of life such as birth, love, work, and death. At the heart of every culture lies the attitude man takes to the greatest mystery, the mystery of God. Different cultures are basically different ways of facing the question of the meaning of personal existence. When this question is eliminated, the culture and the moral life of nations are corrupted. St. John Paul II, Homily to University Students, June 3, 1979. Consider, young friends, how great is the human heart, if God alone can fill it with the Holy Spirit. Assuredly, you have long been putting the question to yourselves, Who am I? This is, I would say, the most interesting question, the fundamental query. What is to be the measurement for measuring man? Today's answer, the answer of the Liturgy of Pentecost, points to two measurements. Man must be measured by the measurement of his heart. In biblical language, the heart means the inner spirituality of man. In particular, it means conscience. Man must therefore be measured by the measurement of conscience by the measurement of the Spirit open to God. Only the Holy Spirit can fill this heart, that is to say, lead it to self-realization through love and wisdom. Second Meditation, The Power of Witness. Introduction. St. John Paul II was not afraid to preach the truth about God, the world, and the human person. He believed in the power of those ideas to roll back the forces of evil and renew human hearts and societies. But he didn't just use words to communicate his message. He also used the witness of his own life, of his own presence as a Christian, a priest, and the Pope. Just as Jesus was the Word of God who entered into the daily life of human beings through his incarnation, so too do authentic Christians bring the gospel to life by how they live their normal duties and everyday relationships. The gospel spreads, above all, by person-to-person -person contact. God's grace flows into the world through the witness of God's children. 
John Paul II understood and lived this incarnational dimension of our faith with depth and with gusto. The most obvious manifestation of his desire to be present to people as a living witness of the love of Christ is found in his travels. Pope John Paul II was the most traveled pope in history. As pope, he understood his mission as being the same as St. Peter's was for the early church, a mission Jesus summed up like this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail, and once you have turned back, you must strengthen your brothers. To strengthen his brothers, to encourage and inspire Catholics to hold fast to their faith and live it bravely in the midst of an increasingly secularized and hostile world, this was a key aspect of the papacy at the end of the second millennium. And John Paul II embraced the challenge not by isolating himself in an office, but by going out to be with the faithful, just as Jesus had done with the people of his time. In his nearly 27 years as Pope, John Paul II took 104 papal pilgrimages outside of Italy, visiting 129 countries and traveling 680,000 miles. He spoke three times to the United Nations, was the first pope ever to visit the White House, and the first pope to visit a synagogue. He also made pastoral visits throughout Italy and to almost all the parishes in Rome itself. During all of these pilgrimages, he followed a back-breaking schedule that included large public gatherings, many experts say the largest in human history, more intimate meetings with small groups of social and cultural leaders, and frequent pastoral visits to hospitals, prisons, and slums. In a modern world that was working hard to remove God altogether from public life, Pope John Paul II embarked on his pilgrimages in order to be a public witness everywhere of God's presence and interest in every human person and predicament. Creative Witness When he wasn't traveling around the globe, he continued his ministry of witness by inviting Catholic bishops to meet with him in Rome. He convoked 15 gatherings of the Synod of Bishops, including seven special assemblies focused on the needs of the Church in specific geographical areas. He also lived out his mission as a witness through the mass media. Instead of merely criticizing the downside of these media, he made himself present through them. Besides giving countless interviews and broadcasting his speeches and masses throughout the world, he was the first pope to publish normal books. His reflections on the world situation in Crossing the Threshold of Hope became an international bestseller and was translated into 40 languages. The memoir of his own vocation and personal spiritual journey, Gift and Mystery, followed suit. Part of his witness as pope also included recognizing the effective witness of other followers of Christ. During John Paul II's papacy, more beatifications and canonizations took place than in all the papacies of the previous 500 years combined. Here we see the same profound conviction that God is truly present in the world through the active presence of his children, through normal men and women of every time and place who bring the gospel to life wherever their own lives unfold. Symbolic Witness Every time John Paul II arrived to a new country, he would descend the steps of the plain, then kneel down and kiss the ground beneath him. This symbolic gesture gave witness to God's love for every people, every place, every nation here on earth. God is not a distant observer or abstract principle. The God whom Jesus Christ has revealed is present. He knows each one of us. 
and walks with us on our journey through the human predicament. Even at the end of his life, when sickness and old age were severely limiting his personal and ministerial activities, he consciously decided not to step down from the papacy. The Pope, too, he believed, should show through his own suffering that God never abandons us, that our lives have meaning, even when the world tells us that our lives no longer matter. Accompaniment in the Early Years St. John Paul II's commitment to the power of witness began long before he was elected Pope. From the first days of his ministry as a priest, and continuing all through his pre-papal years as priest, professor, and bishop, he developed a new form of pastoral care that focused on being present to others in the midst of their normal lives. In addition to the traditional work of preaching, hearing confessions, and celebrating the other sacraments, Father Carol Wojtyla formed a network of relationships that reached well beyond the sacristy and the parish church. He would later come to refer to this network as a milieu, a place of encounter. He went on hiking and kayaking trips with the college students he knew through his chaplaincy work. He formed reading groups and study groups with them to discuss great works of Catholic thinking. As these students grew older, he arranged special retreats for them before their wedding days and before the births of their children. He started the first-ever marriage preparation course in the Archdiocese of Krakow. He even published poetry and works of theater under a pseudonym as a creative way of shining the light of the gospel on the existential problems and drama of human life. In all these ways, St. John Paul II was giving witness through his multifaceted presence in the lives of the people he was called to serve to the interest that God has in all of our lives. This witness was an expression of love, God's love, alive and at work through the active love of his followers. Love must shine out. It must overcome all fear and bear witness to what is true, good, and beautiful. Conclusion A Potent Combination For him, the power of ideas, the power of the truth that God has revealed to us about himself and ourselves, was real and essential. But those ideas could never exert their full transformative effect apart from the complementary power of witness. Combining in his own experience of God and in his ministry as Pope, these two powers, the power of ideas and the power of witness, was for him a path to holiness and to amazing spiritual fruitfulness. And that makes sense, because it is the same path forged by Jesus Christ himself, the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. In the conference, we will explore another outstanding aspect of his message and ministry, life understood as vocation, as a calling, but for now, let's take some time to reflect prayerfully on the power of witness in his life, in Christ's life, and in our own lives. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation. Questions for personal reflection and group discussion. When did I become personally convinced of my faith in Jesus Christ? What role did the witness of other believers play in the development of that conviction? How firmly do I believe that Jesus is interested in all the details of my life, that they are all part of the story of salvation? unfolding through my day-to-day -day decisions and experiences.
In what ways do I regularly give witness to the reality and the love of God? In what areas of my life could I give better witness? What will I do to help make the improvement? Three quotations to aid your meditation. St. John Paul II, Apostolic Exhortation, Christi Fides Leici, number 59. There cannot be two parallel lives in their existence. On the one hand, the so-called spiritual life, with its values and demands, and on the other, the so-called secular life. That is, life in a family, at work, in social relationships, in the responsibilities of public life and in culture. The branch engrafted to the vine, which is Christ, bears its fruit in every sphere of existence and activity. In fact, every area of the lay faithful's lives, as different as they are, enters into the plan of God, who desires that these very areas be the places in time where the love of Christ is revealed and realized for both the glory of the Father and service of others. St. John Paul II, Encyclical Letter, Redemptor Ominis, Number 10. In reality, the name for that deep amazement at man's worth and dignity is the Gospel. That is to say, the good news. It is also called Christianity. Unceasingly contemplating the whole of Christ's mystery, the Church knows, with all the certainty of faith, that the redemption that took place through the cross has definitively restored his dignity to man and given back meaning to his life in the world. A meaning that was lost to a considerable extent because of sin. The Church's fundamental function in every age, and particularly in ours, is to direct man's gaze, to point the awareness and experience of the whole of humanity towards the mystery of God, to help all men to be familiar with the profundity of the redemption taking place in Christ Jesus. At the same time, man's deepest sphere is involved. We mean the sphere of human hearts, consciences and events. St. John Paul II, Encyclical Letter, Redemptor Ominous, Number 10. Man cannot live without love. It remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him. If he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. The man who wishes to understand himself thoroughly must with his unrest, uncertainty and even his weakness and sinfulness, with his life and death, draw near to Christ. He must, so to speak, enter into him with all his own self. He must appropriate and assimilate the whole of the reality of the incarnation and redemption in order to find himself. If this profound process takes place within him, he then bears fruit not only of adoration of God, but also of deep wonder at himself. How precious must man be in the eyes of the Creator, if he gained so great a Redeemer, and if God gave his only Son, in order that man should not perish, but have eternal life. Conference. Life is a calling. Introduction. We are all familiar with World Youth Day. Every few years, the Pope invites all the Catholic young people around the world to join him on an international pilgrimage. By now, so many years since its inception, World Youth Day has become part of the furniture of the Catholic Church. But it wasn't always that way. 
World Youth Day didn't always exist. It came into being only with the support and the vision of St. John Paul II. He started it in 1985, the same year dubbed by the United Nations as the Year of Young People. Since then, World Youth Days have taken place on every continent and attracted world record-setting crowds. Countless young men and women have experienced the love of Christ and the dynamism of the Church in life-changing ways through participating in these events. They have inspired generations of young people to make Christ the center of their lives, many of them through dedicating their entire lives to His service in the priesthood and other forms of consecrated life. A Mysterious Connection In these encounters, St. John Paul II consistently showed an uncanny ability to connect with the young people of the world, to create a palpable and inspiring rapport with them. It was deeper than the kind of excitement usually stirred up by high-profile celebrities. This was especially evident at the last World Youth Day St. John Paul II attended, in Toronto, Canada, in 2002. Physically, the Holy Father was weaker than ever, barely able to walk and finding it difficult even to speak. And yet, in spite of his age and infirmity, his words and his presence continued to make an impact, bringing together hundreds of thousands of young people for the open-air Mass on the final day of the celebration in spite of a drenching rainstorm. When you read the many speeches, homilies, and letters that John Paul II directed towards young people, it's easy to discover the secret behind his ability to inspire them. He didn't look down on them. He wasn't patronizing. He didn't try to manipulate them and use them to feed his own vanity. Instead, he believed in them. And because he believed in them, he challenged them to live lives worthy of their dignity as children of God. In stark contrast to all the modern ideologies that see human beings either as meaningless products of evolution or cogs in an economic machine or mere objects and consumers of passing pleasure, St. John Paul II invited young people to discover that their life was a gift from God, a unique result of God's creative love and wisdom, and he encouraged them to accept that gift joyfully and responsibly by courageously turning it into a gift of love to others. The Meaning of Life This is the true meaning of our lives. We are created in God's image, and God is love. God is eternal gift. God has revealed to us that He is a trinity of persons, an eternal intersection of relationships between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, relationships of self-giving. By creating every human being in His image, He has given every single one of us a vocation, a calling. That's what the word vocation literally means, to put all our natural gifts and talents at the service of loving others, of becoming a gift to others. Only through the lifelong adventure of discovering and following that call, with all the joys and sufferings that it entails, will we come to experience the meaning we all yearn for, the only source of lasting happiness. This vision of life as a gift received and a gift meant to be given underlies all of St. John Paul II's teaching. His moral doctrine, his social doctrine, his spiritual doctrine, and most especially, his groundbreaking theology of the body all develop this same theme. The human person, even in the physical reality of our bodies, created male and female, is called to worthily receive the gift of another and to make of ourselves a gift in response. He never tired of explaining this, of pointing out that the logic of love 
as Christ himself revealed through his own passion, death, and resurrection, involves overcoming the temptation to use other people as objects by entering into the mysterious and wonderful dynamism of mutual self-giving. The Logic of Authentic Love The mere fact that we are capable of living according to the logic of love, of authentic self-giving, reveals our true dignity as human beings. We have in the core of our being an amazing power to freely choose to become what we are created to be. We can freely participate in the unfolding of our own identity. Every single one of us, regardless of natural talents and socioeconomic opportunities, has within us the makings of a saint. John Paul II believed this with all his heart, and that's why, when he spoke of it, he was able to inspire courage, responsibility, maturity, and authentic love. Some of us have already discovered and entered into the arena of life where we are called to live out the logic of the gift. If you are married, your primary arena is your relationship with your spouse, and if God has so blessed you, with your children. If you are a priest or a consecrated person, your primary arena of self-giving is to be found in serving the community where God in his providence has placed you. Some of us, however, are still searching for that arena, still discerning where God is calling us, still looking for our vocation. In the rest of this conference, we will focus on what we can all do not only to live our own vocations to the full, but also to help the young people around us find and follow their vocations. As John Paul II wrote to the young people of the world while preparing the first World Youth Day, in you there is hope, for you belong to the future, just as the future belongs to you. We are all responsible for helping that hope reach its fulfillment. Young people themselves, by engaging intentionally and responsibly in the great adventure of youth, the adventure of discovering God's call in their lives, and the rest of us too, by accompanying them in that adventure. Prayer. The first and most essential element in that adventure is prayer. It is entering into an ongoing, real, and intimate conversation with Jesus Christ. As Pope Benedict XVI, one of St. John Paul II's closest friends and collaborators, put it when speaking to the young people of New York City in 2007, What matters most is that you develop your personal relationship with God. That relationship is expressed in prayer. He reiterated this again a few years later when he said, Only if we are able to turn to God, to pray to Him, do we discover the deepest meaning of our life. And the daily routine is illumined by the light of the risen one. Jesus asked all of us to pray for vocations, for men and women who will hear and heed God's call to spread the gospel. The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. But he also pointed out the importance of an ongoing life of prayer, of intimate conversation with God for each one of us. But when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. A growing life of prayer is one essential way that we can stay united to the only vine that gives true life. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. We can ask ourselves, what am I doing to help foster a culture of authentic Christian prayer in my own life, in my family's life, in the lives of those around me? We can only learn the logic of Christian love if our hearts are in contact with the source of that love, Christ himself, 
and prayer is what makes the connection. Accompaniment. Second, we have to talk to each other about the real meaning of our lives. We have to create spaces in which it is safe to express the deep sentiments of our hearts, the doubts and the discoveries, the hopes and the desires. We need to accompany each other and not be afraid to speak about our experience of following God. Those who have followed a call to the consecrated life and those who have followed a call to the married vocation need to speak to the younger generations about how they discovered their path, about how God has been present to them. And young people who are seeking the authentic path for their lives need to reach out and share the ups and downs of their journey, overcoming those fears that may lead them to try and go it alone. This is all the more important, considering the direction that our globalized culture is taking, a direction more and more opposed to the message of Christ and the authentic path to human flourishing, which makes it harder and harder to be faithful to God's call in our lives. We can ask ourselves, what am I doing to create safe spaces in this unsafe culture where members of the family of God can share each other's burdens, as St. Paul put it, and encourage each other in the great battle and adventure of Christian living, spaces where we can remind each other of our true identity in Christ and challenge each other to enter boldly into the logic of authentic love. Taking the next step. Third, we each have to continue taking the next step. God doesn't generally reveal the whole path all at once. Instead, he shows us one step at a time. When we are growing in prayer and building faith-enhancing relationships, it is not so hard to identify the next step that God is asking us to take in our lives, whether it's a step to discover our calling or a step to continue living it out. But no one can do this for us. Each one of us has to constantly ask the question that St. Paul asked on the road to Damascus. What do you want me to do, Lord? And then have the courage to do it. Blessed John Henry Newman expressed this sentiment beautifully in the first verse of his famous prayer, Lead, Kindly Light. He wrote, Lead, Kindly Light, amidst the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark, and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. Our life is a gift that we receive from God and a call to discover how to give it to others. That is the source of meaning and happiness, as Christ has revealed it. Wherever we find ourselves on that path, prayer, accompaniment, and obedience to God's loving will are the sure way to move forward. Take some time now to reflect prayerfully on the following questionnaire, which is designed to help you apply these theological truths to your daily life. Personal Questionnaire How has the tradition of World Youth Day impacted my life, directly or indirectly? How has it impacted the lives of other people I know? How does the thought, my life is a gift from God, make me feel? Why? Speak to God about that. How have I been living the logic of love in my family life recently? How could I live it more deeply?
How have I been living the logic of love in my work life recently? How could I live it more deeply? What can I do to continue growing in my prayer life? Where do I go to talk about the meaningful things of life, like faith and my experience of God? Does this aspect of my life need improvement? Do I tend to try and go it alone? What is the next step that God is asking me to take in living out my calling? Speak to him about it and make the commitment to take it. What can I do to help foster a culture of prayer in my family, community and other circles of influence? What can I do to help create safe spaces where fellow Catholics and seekers can speak about God and the challenges and joys of following Christ? Write a prayer or letter to St. John Paul II expressing the thoughts and desires that doing this retreat guide have stirred up in my heart. For further reading, Witness to Hope by George Weigel. The End and the Beginning by George Weigel. Why He is a Saint, The Life and Faith of John Paul II and the Case for Canonization by Slavomir Ode and Salvero Gaeta. Gift and Mystery by St. John Paul II. St. John Paul II's Discourses and Homilies from World Youth Days available at vatican.va. If you like this retreat, please help support future retreat guides by making a donation at rcspirituality.org. Retreat guides are a service of Regnum Christi and the Legionaries of Christ. Regnumchristi.org, legionofchrist.org. Retreat guides are produced by Coronation, coronationmedia.com.